I don't know about you all out there, but I very much needed these moments this morning. You know, it's been a tough couple of weeks, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in the moments to come. Um, I was in a pretty down state of affairs when I got here this morning. Uh, then Tina cranks off with victory in Jesus, uh, which, by the way, was the favorite song of my favorite congregation. So um, that, that kind of helped my spirit, and, you know, and then God will take care of you. Uh, I'm one of these guys that, you know, mother, please, I'd rather do it myself. I, I'm a, I'm going to take care of it, if at all possible. But I realize I can't take care of everything. And every once in a while, I need to chill out and say, okay, God, handle it, handle it, handle it. It's hard for me to do. I think some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And Roger, your song was beautiful. I never heard it before. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Yes, indeed. God gave us his son because we needed him. The scripture that Tommy read a moment ago from uh, Acts is a most interesting one. And Paul told the uh, theologians, I guess we'd call them, of, uh, of Athens. He said, men of Athens, I see how extremely religious you are. Why, as I went through your city, I looked carefully at the objects of your worship, and I found one with the inscription to an unknown God. How interesting. And Paul continued, he says, the one you worship as unknown, I will now proclaim to you. I will now proclaim to you. During my days as a campus minister in Louisiana, I had several encounters with a traveling troupe of uh, actors who called themselves the Covenant Players. Various groups of four or five uh, young Christian thespians would tour the country uh, putting on faith-based plays and skits in churches and religious organizations along their prescribed routes. And one they did almost every time they, they performed, a player would, would stand around up on uh, the chancel or wherever they were and kind of, you know, looking off and here, there, and yonder like uh, he or she was waiting on something or somebody, maybe a bus or, or whatever, to come by. And then another character would come from off stage holding a large, this one's small, but they would be holding a rather large uh, leather-bound Bible, and they'd come up to the person standing around waiting, they'd bop them on the head, and say, I am an evangelist. As if popping somebody on the head with the Bible is proclaiming good news. <laughs> it was funny uh, to a point. Indeed, there seem to be many who, who find it somehow appropriate to beat the unchurched even those with uh, diff different uh, theological perspectives than they, to beat them over the head, if you would, with the gospel. Now, I'm not sure that such evangelism was what the delegates to our United Methodist General Conference had in mind. I think it was eight years ago 
when they added the word witness to the list of activities which we were pledged to be involved in when we took our membership vows or renewed them as the case we we do that periodically. And so now as we join the church or reaffirm those vows we made, uh, we uh, agree that we would uphold the work of God and of Christ's kingdom and of this church by our prayers and our presence, as Bill preached about two weeks ago, our gifts and our service last week, and more recently it added for me to take care of witness. We affirm the work of the church by our prayers and our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And I think that St. Paul would approve heartily of this. Because we know that after his conversion on the road to Damascus, Paul tried to tell everybody who would listen, (laughs) and even some who didn't want to listen, about the redeeming love of God as shown to us in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. On his journeys, he went to Athens, and there Paul preached in various uh, synagogues and even in the local marketplace. And while he was preaching there in the marketplace, some of the religiously-minded intellectuals of his day found what he said, or what he had to say, quite interesting. Interesting enough that they invited Paul to the Areopagus. By the way, you did a good job with all those words. C'est bon. To the Areopagus, which was a, a religious shrine that apparently housed all of the pagan gods of Greek culture. So they told Paul, after they heard him preach in the marketplace, they said, let us know a little bit more about this strange God that you represent. And so indeed, when Paul arrived there at this church, if you would, of all of the gods, he noticed that shrine to an unknown God. Apparently they wanted to cover all the bases, make sure uh, in their pantheon that they didn't leave somebody out. So they had a shrine to this unknown God. And Paul then began a discourse by affirming his audience's interest in matters theological. From your assembled shrines and statues, he began, I can see how deeply religious you really are. He's why you even have a statue to an unknown God. Then he must have really piqued their interest when he said, it just so happens that I know this unknown God, and I'd like to tell you about him. And my friends, I'm here to tell you that was an absolutely genius way to approach his witness to uh, those Athenians there in the Areopagus. There, I stumbled on it, Tommy. Areopagus. Paul realized evidently rather quickly that these intellectuals may have been pagans and idolaters, but they were at least searching. They were searching for the truth about God. Their their instincts and their impulses and, and intellect were pointed in the right direction, even if their theological systems and the objects of their attention or of their worship, were off base. And so Paul praised the intent 
if not the object of their search. And that became a very significant point of contact between Paul and the folks there in Athens. Paul told those gathered in the Areopagus that that this unknown God had made the heavens and the earth, why he had even made all of them. And then he took a quote from a 6th century Greek philosopher who had said of Zeus all those years ago, in him we live and move and have our being. And he took that phrase and applied it to his own God. As I said, Paul's approach that day was pure, inspired genius. Had he chosen to, I suppose Paul uh, could have cited a hundred or more differences between his God, the one true God, and their multiple deities. He could have made these differences into barriers, perhaps insurmountable barriers. Instead, thank God, he found a common denominator. He found that one thing that united them, that statue to that unknown God. And Paul used it, nay, I say God used it, to open the door of the gospel in the capital of Western culture, in the cradle of modern civilization. I can't help but think, as Tommy pointed out a while ago in his his prelude to his prayer, that we very much need such points of commonality, you know, moments of contact, if you would, in the society and the time in which we live today. Responses to the disunity and the subsequent threats that we face today are many and varied. I, I don't have to tell you that. If you've been on the internet, you've turned on the TV, uh, you are quite aware of the problems of our nation, of, uh, of our world today. When faced with problems, uh, such as we are encountered today, there's, there's various responses. Well, some more appropriate than others, obviously. Sometimes when we're faced with the kind of tensions and, and problems and threats, yes, that we face today, uh, we find some folks going into what I suppose could be called a siege mentality. You know, Lock all the doors, bar the windows, and hope that the worst, at least, will blow over sooner rather than later. From the religious perspective, folks in the siege mode want to keep the church the same as they think, as they think it always was. Selective memory, it never was that way. We just think we remember it being that way. You know the type, you've seen them. Don't change a thing. 
I want a place for me and my family to come to worship. That's all I want for the church. We want to keep this building looking as nice as it possibly can. That's all we want from the church. And for goodness sake, don't let anybody different from us darken these doors. Siege mentality. Close up the doors. Fill up the moat. Don't let anybody in. Others obviously take the absolute opposite approach and go into what we might call an attack mode. Buy as many guns as you can, or trucks, or bombs. Go into the street and wreak all of the havoc you possibly can on those we consider to be our enemies. Those in a religious attack mode are screaming that everyone who doesn't think like they do, who doesn't worship like they do, are going to hell or are enemies or, you know, fill in the blank. You know, doesn't take a genius to figure out that's the mentality of ISIS trying to bring about a caliphate of Shia worship and Sharia law. And doing so by mass murder and destruction. But we have those masquerading as Christians. They don't get the press that they used to, thank goodness. But that Westwood Baptist Church in Kansas, protesting military funerals and proclaiming God's judgment because so many of us want to see uh, human beings as as sacred persons of worth, whether they are like us or not, as valued children of God? Where's the love of Jesus in that? I don't see it. I can't help but think that we'd be all a whole lot better off if we didn't start in mass to try to love heaven into people rather than try to blow them up or scare the hell out of them. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, folks, let's be real here. There's enough darkness in our world without the church aid adding to it. What we need today is light. The light of God's love spread as far and as wide as we possibly can. Remember what Jesus told his disciples right before he ascended into heaven? We call it the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world to preach and to teach and to baptize. Luke has a little bit different slant on this, but it amounts to the same thing. He said, you are to be my witnesses, starting here in Jerusalem, right where you are, and going out to the ends of the earth. That's what we've been called to do, to be witnesses. Starting here and radiating out like ripples on the pond to the far reaches of the world. 
Jesus, Jesus was a light to his world. And through us, Jesus wants us to be a light to our own world. And I believe that the light of Christ is as needed, if not more needed, here and now than it perhaps ever has been before, at least in a very, very long time. The headlines of the past month, and especially these past two weeks, should be primary evidence to each and every one of us for the desperate need of the love and the light of Jesus Christ in this world. Fifty dead in an Orlando nightclub. The rampant mistrust between our minority communities and law enforcement agencies and officers. Not to mention the ISIS-inspired atrocities in San Bernardino, in Paris, in Brussels, Barcelona, and now Nice within just the past couple of weeks. As well as the military attempted military coup in Turkey a couple of days ago, supposedly inspired by an Islamic cleric who is taking shelter here in the United States. And part of the reason that I needed so desperately to come to church this morning and to experience what I have here, God bless you all, is that I'm asking myself, when on earth will it end? When will the craziness stop? When will the church of Jesus Christ resume its rightful place as the light of Christ in the world? When will it, when will we truly become proponents of peace and agents of life and love in a world hell-bent on destruction? When will we invoke the name of the great healer of Galilee into the world around us. I think that there are two primary ways that we can spread the good news, which is exactly what gospel means. We can spread the good news. We can be agents of peace and love and healing. We can do so by what we say to one another. And folks, I, I promise you, we need, I need to be much more intentional in talking about our love and our faith and the love of God and the light of Christ, light, light of Christ uh, to the world around us, to others with whom we come into contact day after day. We need to speak words of love rather than hate, of unity rather than disharmony, of peace rather than discord. We need to speak words of hope and of faith to a world that doesn't have enough of either. We need to speak about understanding and comfort. These are important things. They're desperately needed. But another and perhaps more effective way to witness to the good news of Jesus Christ is by what we do. 
some 40 or so years ago, I guess, there was a group called Religion in American Life. I haven't heard much of them lately. That's a shame. Or real, Religion in American Life. And they produced, among other things, a number of very creative ads which uh, aired on TV stations all over the country. Lake Charles, where we lived at the time, was one of the stations that aired uh, those commercials. And in one of them, there was this group of businessmen who were rushing through an airport in an attempt to uh, catch a plane to wherever. And as they rushed through the terminal of that airport, one of these men bumped into a, a young man, knocked him down, and scattered his possessions all over the place in that airport terminal. All of the guys in that group just kept on going like nothing had happened except one man who after a couple of steps turned around and asked the boy who by this time was on the verge of tears if he was okay. Then he knelt down and began to help this bewildered kid to pick up all of his stuff. As he was doing so, his cohorts uh, were getting further and further away and finally about halfway down uh, the hallway of that terminal one of them turned back he looked at the guy and the little boy he said my god Harry come on we're going to miss our plane when he said that the little boy looked up with eyes like saucers into the face of the man who had stooped to help him he said mister Are you God? Jesus said if you didn't have the faith of a child, you didn't have it. I think that's one of the things that he was talking about. For indeed, maybe in that moment, that man was God to that little boy. Many of us in our world today that feel like we've been knocked down by a world more bent on business as usual than concerned about the human condition. Many, I dare say, a number, and I dare say a number of us here this morning feel as if their lives, your lives, our lives, have been broken into a million pieces and so scattered and tattered that there seems to be little hope of being able to to pick them all back up and put them back together again. The world today is a sad and lonely and confused and forlorn place. It's full of anger and hatred, of enmity and misunderstanding, of disappointment and frustration. Should I go on? Wouldn't you agree that the world... And that includes our neighbor across the street, the person across town, and even the one sitting on the pew with us this morning. Don't you agree that these folk need a great deal of affirmation and appreciation and love that they're not going to get anyplace else except through our Christian faith? And in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, whether we want to or not, we all proclaim a message. 
We do so by what we say or not. We do so by what we do or don't. How much longer can we wait to begin trying to turn things around? Is it already too late? I hope not. But you've got to wonder. With guns and bombs going off, with racial tension run amok, religious paranoia spouting hatred and violence galore, don't you think we've had enough bad news for a while? Don't you think it's about time some of us at least started to spread some good news? And I'm going to do that right now. At least a little bit. And I've got to affirm before you this morning to witness, if you would, that I am proud to be a part of a denomination and particularly of a congregation that takes our role in evangelism and as Christian evangelists seriously. As I mentioned previously, we're a part of Acts. We have reach. There's our college ministry, Rebecca's Cafe. As I mentioned also previously this week, we spent a significant amount of money to help one of Karen's and my students to get back on his feet after a run of bad luck, quite frankly, I just can't believe. But knowing the kid like we do, we know he's telling us the truth. My former congregation, bless their hearts, they're all getting kind of old now. But they have a group, don't know how long it'll last. They're all my age and some of them older. But they call themselves the Ramp Tramps. You know, they've all got uh, motorhomes and trailers and you know, campers and whatnot. And both in the town, Clinton, Louisiana, and you know, all over that part of Louisiana, they'll load up those trailers and their tools and two-by-fours and whatever, and they'll go out and build ramps for the handicapped. They'll help rebuild homes after some of the storms that Louisiana has had uh, recently. These are the kind of things that God is calling us. All of those things are witnesses. All of that is spreading the light of Jesus Christ to a world in need. We're doing some things. We're doing things well and right. But are we doing enough? Are we as effective witnesses of Jesus Christ as we need to be? Yes, indeed. We are called to be witnesses by what we say and by what we do. I don't know, 30 more years ago, Mickey and I were talking about it the other day. We weren't sure. Was it Helen Reddy or is it Ann Murray who had a, a really neat song, Tommy? Maybe you can help me here. We sure could use a little good news today. Ann Murray. Okay. I couldn't remember who sang it, but it's the words that are important. We sure could use a little good news today. And all I can add to that is, ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth?
Thank you for who you are, for the witness you made. God bless you.